Good morning, church. Um, today I will be singing Reckless Love. No wall you won't get down, no you won't tear down 
scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 37. Jesus said, I'll tell you a story. A certain man from Jerusalem left to go down into the valley toward Jericho while traveling through a desolate area of the canyons. He was attacked by a gang of thieves who beat him up, took his money, stripped him of his clothes, then left him lying in the desert half dead. A priest happened to be traveling that same road on his way to Jerusalem when he came to the place where the injured man was lying. He decided not to touch him, for he might be dead. That would make the priest ritually unclean and disqualify him for serving in the temple. So he walked on the side of the road and kept going. Later, a Levite traveled along the same road. When he came to the man, he stopped and looked. But after seeing the man's condition and thinking he was dead, the Levite also decided not to defile himself. So he, too, went on his way. Then a Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he, left, he felt sorry for him and decided to help him, even though he could tell that he was a Jew. He soothed his wounds with a salve made from oil and wine. Then he helped the man get up, mounted him on his donkey, and took him to the nearest inn on the outskirts of Jericho, where he cared for him all through the night. The next morning before he left, he gave the manager of the place the equivalent of two days' wages and said, I'd like you to take care of this man until he's well enough to go on. If it costs you more than this, I'll pay the difference when I stop here next time. Then Jesus asked the young lawyer, Which of these three men do you think acted as a neighbor to the wounded man? The lawyer answered, The one who cared about him. Jesus replied, Anyone who needs help is your neighbor. Be ready to help him. Thank you, Melody and Gabrielle and Steve, and for all of you for being here and participating in our worship today. Let's uh, bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, it's 
with empty hearts that we come here this morning seeking to be filled. We need to hear your word. We need not to hear human words from human lips, but we need to hear words from God's throne. And we ask the Lord that that miracle might take place this morning. May your words come on angels' wings. May the restlessness that may be in our feet and the noise of the world that may be ringing in our ears be silenced and stilled as we stand in awe before you. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The year was 1937. 92 years ago, almost to the day, May 6th, 1937. The place was Lakehurst, New Jersey. And what a sight she was. She'd been completed just the year before, 1936. She was 806 feet long. She had four Mercedes-Benz engines, each one producing over 1,100 horsepower. She had a max cruising speed of 84 miles per hour. She had a volume capacity of 7,063,000 cubic feet. And yet, she could carry only 50 to 100 people. And on the silvery side of this mammoth vessel was painted the word that will forever be etched in the minds of humanity, the name Hindenburg. And on that overcast, misty day of May 6, 1937, as she was carefully rolled up the derrick, carried on the breeze of the wind, that explosion took place. And we can all still see it in our mind's eye, can't we? We've all seen those pictures of the video on TV that recorded that horrifying event where in just a few seconds many people's lives were snuffed out. But this morning, just for a moment, I would like you to contemplate and recall back the words that the commentator used on that morning. You remember him? He was there to cover the event of the day, and even though the explosion had taken place, the cameras kept rolling, and he kept commentating on the event as it took place. Do you remember his words? But more importantly, can you remember the emotion that was weaved into his words as he spoke them? In fact, he was so taken up with the horror of the whole thing that he had to excuse himself from the microphone for a minute. said, folks, I simply am sorry. I can't go on. I can't say anymore. And with tears in his voice, he excused himself and stepped aside. And then a minute later, he came back and attempted to continue to cover that horrible event. But the whole nation, the whole world for that matter, could hear them in the man's words, His whole self was moved with compassion for people. Even as the gospel so often tell us that Jesus 
was moved with compassion for people. Now move ahead in time with me. 49 years to January 28. 1986, the place this time is Cape Canaveral, Florida. She also was a magnificent sight, over 200 feet tall, five engines on her producing over 10 million pounds of thrust. Her top speed was 2,795 miles per hour. She had a payload of 32 tons, but yet she too carried so few people, only seven this time. Peyton painted on her flat white side were those words that will also forever be etched in the minds of humanity, challenger. And on that cool Florida morning at 11.38 a.m., she took off from the launch pad 53 seconds into flight, the computer shoved those main engines up to full throttle, and we could hear those words, Challenger, go with throttle up. And the response, Roger, go at throttle up. And at 46,000 feet, the world watched as Ellison, Krista, Gregory, Judith, Michael, Dick, and Ronald tumbled to their deaths. But again, I ask you this morning, can you recall the words of that commentator on that morning? Do you remember what he had to say? As the world watched, as the camera still kept focused, and as you could see the cabin of those people tumble through the smoke down to the ocean below, do you remember his words? In a cold, sterile, unfeeling way, the man simply said to the world that watched in horror, obviously a major malfunction has taken place. Do you remember that? The world, by and large, it seems, has lost its capacity to be moved by compassion for people. It seems that so many care about things rather than people. Man is now so caught up in things and electronics and social media that somehow we have lost the people and the love for people. And I'm afraid to say it, but to a certain extent, it's even true in our own churches. We've lost that compassion, that moving love for one another, as well as for the world that stands outside our door. Are we moved with compassion for that secretary at work who just got her divorce? Are we moved with compassion for the man down the street, our neighbor, who just was diagnosed with cancer? Are we moved with compassion for the old man, you know the one, often with dirty, ragged clothes, the man 
who holds up his thumb for a ride downtown? Are we moved with compassion for those people? For the tens of thousands of lost souls in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, are we really, truly moved with compassion for them? Is the underlying pulse of our lives to love others as Jesus did? Well, it's interesting because the Lord addressed that question in Luke chapter 10 in those verses that Melody read for us this morning. But do you remember the context of that story? It starts a few verses before that. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start back at verse 25. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him, speaking of Jesus, to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and what? And your neighbor... As yourself. As yourself? Are you kidding me? That's what it says. In other words, we are to love people as much as we love ourselves. Verse 28, and he said to them, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And just who is my neighbor? In other words, who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to be moved with compassion for, just as I am for myself? Who out there in that whole great big world that I live in Am I supposed to love and be concerned about just as much as I am for myself? And Jesus, you got to love him. Rather than giving a simple answer, as he so often does, he tells a story. And we know the story, but we're going to go through it again this morning, starting with verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. I find it interesting that it says just a certain man. No other information is given about him. And I believe it's simply because it doesn't really matter who it is. Doesn't matter which side of town he comes from, how much education he has. Doesn't really matter whether he's employed or unemployed. Doesn't matter where he comes from, who his mom or dad are. 
is just a certain man, a member of the human race. And he found him half dead. How many people do you know out there who are half dead? They're all over the place. They're wounded. They have broken hearts, shattered dreams. Those stripped of dignity and self-worth. We've seen them. We know some of them, don't we? We're surrounded by hundreds of them in our communities. And it's not very pretty. But they're there, stripped and wounded, half dead, but members of the human race. Verse 31. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. again, uses that same word, certain. A certain priest. So again, it's not important who he is. I believe what's important here is the office that he held. It's interesting, this priest, because, and I admit I don't know Greek, but I'm told in the Greek that the word for priest here is really can be translated elder. And we know a few of those, don't we? Maybe it's a really easier for us to relate to an elder rather than a priest. You know. Elders appointed by the church to hold a certain office. However, back then in the time Jesus was on earth, the elders or the priests were appointed by the king under the power of the Roman government. Because the Jews were under the Roman government, and the government used their power to appoint the priests to their office during that time. They came from the outside and were given the office. So really, I believe the most important thing here is simply it represents those that come into the church from the outside. Those who are coming from the outside and come into the church and become a part of it, and when they see situations like this, it's so often so easy for us To say, isn't it, that it's really not my problem. It's not my job. When we see somebody injured at the side of the road, we think it's the pastor's job. It's the deacon's job. Half dead, all dead, they all look the same to me. I don't have the time. I'm not supposed to deal with situations like this. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite also came. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. All right. A Levite is interesting as well because he was the descendant of Levi, right? Levites were descendants of Levi. In other words, they kind of represent those who were born into the church. Those who have always been here. You see, in other words, the story doesn't miss anyone. Whether you've always been a Christian or whether you've been called in, it blankets everyone. And none of us can escape the shadow of this story. 
whether we stand in the pulpit or whether we stand at the back door, it's interesting that it does say that this Levite looked at him. In other words, it seems that he had some compassion. He came to the situation. He saw it. Perhaps on some level he was touched by it. But he wasn't moved by it. He wasn't moved to take action. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So if everybody else has already been included by the first two, who does the Samaritan represent? Well, it seems to me in this story that it almost seems like he represents those who are least likely to do what he does. And we have those in our communities and in our churches as well, don't we? You know the story between the hatred that was between the Samaritans and the Jews. So of anybody that came upon this man, you would think the Samaritan would be the last one to help him. But the least likely is often the ones that do it. We see those in our churches. It's the silent ones, the ones who don't receive all the attention, the ones who are out there doing what Jesus asked them to do. Many times without any recognition, the quiet ones in the shadows, perhaps voicing very few ideas, but nonetheless doing what Jesus has called them to do. Verse 34, And it came to him, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, And took care of him. In other words, if I may put it into a little bit more of modern day terms, he sees him along the side of the road. In his pocket, he has reservations for the Holiday Inn. He picks him up, puts him in his car, blood and all. Doesn't worry about the mess he's going to make in his car. Takes him down to the inn, brings him up to his own room that he has paid for. Puts him in his own bed. And doesn't sleep a wink all night and takes care of this guy. And he comes down to the desk in the morning and tells them at the hotel he has to go on, but he leaves them four or $500 and says, I will come back, take care of this guy, feed him, let him rest, let him heal, and if I owe you more, when I come back, I'll pay it to you. And at last, Jesus asked the question. In verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now I want to ask you a question. 
At the beginning, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? And I want to ask you, does Jesus answer his question? Does Jesus tell the lawyer who his neighbor is? At the end of the story, does Jesus say, now your neighbor is the one who was lying in the street? Does he say that? Uh Uh-uh. You know, as many times as I've looked at this story, I finally realized for us to ask who our neighbor is is the wrong question. It's a dumb question. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. This question is so silly, I'm not going to answer it the way you want me to. Because you haven't asked the right question. Jesus says it doesn't matter who our neighbor is. It's a dumb question. Jesus points the finger right at the lawyer and says, You, you go do the same. You are the neighbor. So he points his finger at me and at you, and he says, You are the neighbor. The question isn't, who out there in this great big world am I supposed to take care of today? Who do I select to take care of? No, Jesus says the question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, are you willing to be the neighbor? The title I gave to this message was, The Neighbor. That was the shortened version. The expanded version of the title is, Are You Willing to Be the Neighbor? Are you willing to be moved with compassion for everyone? And that's a huge question, isn't it? Because it seems so often we just don't have it in us. I mean, when was the last time you went driving down the streets of your community with tears streaming down your cheeks as you watched the hundreds and thousands of people driving by with compassion in your heart, weathering whether or not they know Jesus? Do you and I have that kind of compassion in our hearts? Or do we just silently ignore the people that we go by every day. Some of you probably know that as a worldwide Seventh-day Adventist church, we are now baptizing between three and 4,000 people per day on average. And I guess that's good. We can say amen to that. But that doesn't even come close to keeping up with the population growth of the world. We're falling way behind. The solution to the problem, even as astounding as it is in the story, isn't to just muster up within ourselves a moving compassion for all these people. Do you know what we need to do? You and I? 
We need to find within our hearts a deep, life-changing, moving compassion for only one person. Just one, and you know who that is. Jesus Christ. That's the only one. And when we have that moving, life-altering compassion for Jesus, as he had for us, we will be moved to action with such compassion for all the people out there in the world that we'll never, ever ask the question, who is my neighbor? As I've already said, the real question is, am I willing to be a neighbor to everyone? In closing, I'd like to tell you a story. It's not a first-hand story. I heard it second-hand from a good friend of mine. Actually, it was an academy classmate. It's about somebody that he went to seminary with at Andrews University, and this young man that he grew to know and become a friend with grew up in California. He grew up near Hollywood, and as a young boy, he was born and raised there. And eventually he grew up and he got a full-time job in the same area. But the interesting part of the story, to me, is that he uh, eventually got a side job besides his main job. Do you know what he did on the side? I'm sure you don't, but he was what Hollywood calls an extra. He had a special phone line that connected with the various Hollywood studios. And what they would do is when they needed a bunch of extra people in a scene in a movie, they would call people up and have them come to be extras. You know, people in the background mingling around and so on. Well, one day he he gets such a call to come. said, today we need you at such and such a place. And you go there and when you get there, we'll give you the clothes to wear, the costume to wear. So on this particular day, when he gets there, they want him to dress up like a World War II soldier. And the setting is on a beach there in California. And they were filming a World War II film with some beach scenes. And as he is sitting there waiting, and so often the actors have to do, they have to wait and wait and wait, because they're not the, the main people, of course, but they have to be there when they need them. Well, he was sitting there talking to some of his friends when along the beach came a group of rather strange-looking people. And these strange-looking people had a box in their arms, and they were going along handing out books to people on the beach. And someone handed him a book, and he took it, and the book was The Desire of Ages. Well, he didn't look at the book for some time, but he did take it home. And in fact, believe it or not, and maybe it'll be easier to believe when you consider that he was born and raised in an atheist home in Hollywood, he had never, ever heard the name of Jesus before. When Christmas would come and go, there was no thought, no inkling about God and Jesus' birth. He had not heard of Jesus But one day, you know how the Holy Spirit works. You just never know when it's going to be. But one day, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. 
brought his attention to that book, and he opened it up, and he begins to read. And he soon finds himself enthralled with this man named Jesus. He begins to read about his birth, about his young manhood, about the life he lived as a carpenter in Nazareth, and finally about his ministry. And he's astounded at the power of this man and how he heals the sick and raises the dead. And then of all things, one day this mad crowd comes along to the garden where this poor fellow is just praying. And they drag him away and they take him and nail him on a cross. And he just can't believe it. His heart is rent in two. He is moved with compassion for this newly found friend, Jesus, that he has learned about in the desire of ages. He completes the book and soon makes a life-altering decision. He packs up his bags and he goes to Andrews University to study for the ministry in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Why? What took him from the beaches of California to the beaches of Lake Michigan? One thing, only one, a moving compassion for the man he met at Calvary, Jesus Christ. So my friends, when we look out into the world and see the hundreds and millions of people that need Jesus, and we look at our own empty cells and say, what can I do? And we are astounded at how little love and compassion that we have within our own hearts for people. Friends, I ask you this morning, don't be discouraged. We only need to love one, and that's Jesus. And when we truly have that love for him, He will come and fill us to overflowing with his spirit. And we won't be able to but help tell others about this precious friend that we have and the love that he has for the broken ones of this world. In closing, I invite you to turn to Matthew 25. And could read more, but we're going to just limit it to verses 34 through 40. I'm going to be reading from a paraphrase, the remedy. Then the king will gladly say to those on his right, Come home, you who have been healed by my father. Receive your inheritance, the kingdom of love, designed for you at the creation of the world. For you lived in harmony with my kingdom of love. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me home. I didn't have clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. 
Then the healed whose hearts are right with God's kingdom of love will answer the king, Lord, what are you talking about? When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When were you a stranger to us without clothes that we needed to clothe you? When did we ever nurse you when sick or visit you in prison? Then the king will smile and say, The truth of my kingdom of love is this, whatever love you gave to the least of my family on earth, you gave it to me. In lieu of a closing hymn today, we're going to have a song played. Everybody loved like he does There'd be a lot less 
this morning, I want to ask for you to do for us what is impossible for us on our own. To give us a heart like yours for the broken ones. May we truly see the people that we meet every day as you see them through your eyes And as we contemplate upon the final scenes of Jesus' life and the compassion that we feel in our hearts for him, may that be translated to our world, to our communities, to our sphere of influence. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus and for the people around us that are so precious in your sight. Amen.